0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Talking About podcast. I am your host as always Daniel Olinger joined by Sean Kennedy. Sean how are you doing?
1: Daniel personally I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Um, unfortunately it was only a matter of time until the Sixers bad luck and the global pandemic intersected in a big way and that time is now as Seth Curry positive for COVID-19 yesterday. The news hit while he was on the bench, uh, sometime like late first quarter or early second quarter in Brooklyn. Uh, He immediately went to a isolation room, but now it's been reported a number of Sixers have been deemed close contacts and uh, they will not be playing definitely tomorrow. We don't know if that game is still going to happen or not. In addition to the situation with the Sixers, The Nuggets also just played Dallas, who had a player test positive, and along with two close contacts, the Mavericks had three players staying back in Denver today. So very evolving situation. Um, Likely there will be more news that comes out by the time people listen to this podcast, but it wouldn't surprise me if we we don't see Sixers basketball for at least a few days as uh, more tests come in and they can be more certain that it is in wider spread uh, positive cases running through the, the roster. So um, other than that, Sixers are, are doing great.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we at least won't be seeing the usual Sixers we're used to, because at least some players have to be out. Still not sure who. We do know that Joel Embiid said he would self-quarantine until he's positive. He's- I shouldn't say positive. He knows for sure that he does, he does not tested positive for the virus due to him having a three month old son, obviously not wanting to do anything there. What's the best for Joel? He's been playing great this year and we all love him. And yeah, it's just, I mean, it would have been funny. It is very funny. Although it's, you don't want to joke about a pandemic that the Sixers were the team who, this wasn't just like, Oh, they had a positive test. And Oh, like this, No, it's. They let the guy who had tested positive sit on the bench next to players and talk for a quarter and and then make the situation yeah, much, I, that I, much I, worse.
1: Yeah, I mean, it. the optics are bad. I feel like that is getting a little overblown in the sense that they didn't know he was positive when they had him on the bench. He was legitimately out with the ankle injury. Yeah, and he and the got procedure. the the rapid response test that morning, just like all the players do. And it just so happened that Curry was the one who tested positive, who happened to already be sitting out. And then they immediately like had him removed from the arena and go into the isolation room. And they did they followed all the procedures that everybody else follows. It was it just looked a little suspicious because he happened to be sitting out already. Um, so I just don't want people to pile on as if they were weren't following the procedures and just being especially reckless.
0: No, no, you're right. But it's just, it's just the optics of it. Given what we know about the Sixers' medical staff over the years, yeah, that this would happen. It's just, I mean, it's it's just. We, I mean, we don't even have to do a rehash. We've probably rehashed their medical history several times on this podcast over our twenty-something episodes now. So, you know, just. Whether or not this was the Sixers' fault or not, due to something they had done, it's oh, it's I mean, it's happened now, and we again like probably like the rest of you listening to this podcast who watching the Sixers the last few nights, uh, we don't really know what's going to happen so far. Whether or not that, who knows? Maybe the NBA will take a little bit of a break with all the stuff that's going on, like with all around the league of all, like you said, teams having guys have to do contact tracing oh this seems concerning this seems concerning you know like eventually the the more teams that get involved in this the trickier it becomes
1: yeah but i i have a feeling they're going to push through <laughs> i i don't i don't see any suspension of play in any significant sense yeah. on the horizon
0: it's like um, that um i don't know it's from spongebob like the <laughs> there's this one picture of Mr. Krabs where it just says uh, the money is always right. Do you think that, should we just post that to like the NBA's Twitter account?
1: Yeah. I mean, considering they made sure to have the season start before Christmas, just to get that network money in on the Christmas day scheduling with the major networks that were uh, covering that. I, I think they they've definitely been very smart in some ways. I think the bubble was a big success and mm-hmm. they're, doing everything they can yeah, within I, I, reason, but yeah, they have monetary interests in mind. As, so
0: as most businesses do.
1: It, yeah, exactly. So it, it's just a shame because even after the loss to Brooklyn, which it, it was actually, my dad brought up an interesting point. Like they, it was the second quarter where they really got blown out and that game, you know, became a blowout for, for Brooklyn mm-hmm. Um, so that's right after Curry leaves. So I couldn't have been, I couldn't imagine what was going on through the guys' minds when like, oh, why is Seth not sitting on the bench anymore? Oh, he tested positive. And then everyone has to wonder, like, well, that like I've been around him. Am I going to test positive? And just what a, a mental drain that is. So it's totally understandable that they, you know, had their worst quarter of the season um, probably in that second quarter right after hearing that news. So I'm much more inclined to kind of shrug off that mm-hmm. performance now. As a result, and aside from that game and the Cleveland game where they You're Joel about was
0: Cleveland game,
1: yeah, I just want to you know that Joel was a late scratch for that one, so that was another one where their their mindset had to like completely shift at the the last minute. So other than that, you know, they won all their games and they they still have the best record in the NBA. So everything was just pointing up for the Sixers and for this to happen now where either some games are going to be postponed or they're going to have to play with a short short shorthanded roster and, and likely without Joel who was sitting on the bench uh, next to Seth against in the Brooklyn game. um, And Seth had a mask on, but Joel did not. So Mm -hmm. he he probably will be deemed one of those close contacts. It's just a shame that everything seemed to be clicking. And now this uh, road bump has appeared in front of them.
0: You know, you're, you're definitely right in what you're saying about like how that probably affects them. I usually push back against that kind of stuff just like any if a team only has a few losses and there's a common theme in what why those losses happen, usually it'll be like, "Oh, but all their losses were really close games or just barely like this." Cuz then it's like, you know, if none of this had happened, they'd basically be undefeated. So, I mean, to keep, Yeah. <laughs> I, I
1: I don't know. I mean, they're they're going to lose games. It's just everyone yeah. everyone kind of was like, oh, where'd that come from? And Kyrie was out yeah. and KD was out. And, and that's sh- a- even on a back-to-back. But they were down two at the end of the first quarter. It wasn't like they were getting killed in the first. And then all of a sudden, a guy on your team who's been hanging around, test positive, and it's, you know, it's a scary situation to, mm-hmm. to be that close to it. So it's, as I said, it's completely understandable that your, your mind kind of disengages from the task at hand and you know you're talking about NBA basketball if your mind's not 100% in it you're not going to be performing to your the best level you're capable of
0: no, yeah this I mean we already knew it would be tough Seth has been incredible so far this season I tweeted it a few days ago that he um he's just barely off of 60 60 100 shooting splits on the year which is it's out of this world, even through eight ga- games, to shoot like that. He is, I think, Seth Partnow of the Athletics said that of the tracking data era, Seth is the only one to sh- hit over 50% of his open threes for his career. You know, it's just, it, no, as much as we like Shake Milton, as much as Danny Green has played well, as much as Tobias Harris has played great the past few weeks including dunking one-handed several times much much to my (laughs) chagrin in some ways although i'm very happy he's playing well
1: (laughs) tobias's dunking has directly led to you getting dunked on on twitter it's uh, it's relentless yeah you know what i I don't know i don't know when
0: you're going to live that one down i deserve it if you know i deserve tobias keeps doing this like i fully deserve it i wrote that article um Tobias, if again, if you read that, Tobias, I am happy that you are proving me wrong. Keep I'm doing also happy things. you
1: listen to the podcast.
0: Yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, but like without Seth out there, so then when teams go down to double and bead, you know, like it's just, it's hard to make up for a guy who almost just really hasn't been missing when he gets the ball kicked back out to him or swung to him, even if the guys replacing him are decent shooters themselves. So, I mean, it just shows you we've been talking about how good of a fit the Sixers team has been. And you take one piece out of that and maybe it's just, it's just still not the same thing, which, you know, it makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Seth has been a big part of their offensive success this year. I mean, you, you kind of cited the stats and they've been incredible. And just what he allows the team to do as far as the spacing and Joel doesn't get doubled as, as readily because they have to be concerned about Seth and where he is on the court, and you know the same kind of thing with Ben when he's down in the post. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's a blow. So Seth's de- he's definitely going to be out because he's he's he has tested positive. So you know i I'm, I'd imagine he's asymptomatic at least at this point, given the fact that he was still on the bench and, and didn't sense that anything was wrong as far as that goes. Um, so hopefully. He continues to be asymptomatic, and uh, he'll be back in you know 10 to 14 days. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they can t- pick it back up from there and hopefully continue playing uh, as if they hadn't missed a beat because they were really rolling there.
0: Yeah, and I mean, obviously, aided by a weaker schedule, they get to play the Hornets twice, get to play the Wizards twice. Uh, who else am I missing? Um, surprisingly, Cavs and Knicks look like pretty solid games so far given their early season success. Yeah. But- it's not been exactly a murderer's row for the Sixers thus far. Obviously posting some good numbers.
1: Well, they, they did handily defeat the Magic, who are 6-2, oh, yeah. and, and that was with Markel Foltz,
0: who unfortunately well, tore his ACL. One thing, about, one thing about the Magic, they have the worst location-effective field goal percentage in the NBA, which basically means that they are taking a crap ton of difficult shots like fading away mid-range shots, and Nikola Vucevic mainly is just hitting all of them right now. I don't know if Terrence Ross knows any other kind of shot. Yeah, (laughs) but basically, like, Terrence Ross and Vucevic will cool down. And, I mean, we even saw when they played the Sixers, when they weren't hitting as many of those shots, and the Sixers were hitting hitting their threes, just how ugly it can get. The Magic are obviously still a good team. Steve Clifford is a great coach, but, you know, (laughs) I I don't think the Magic are, uh, again, like a – I don't think that's going to be a top 10 team in the NBA win give it record-wise come the end of the season. Uh, no, I, I wouldn't think so either. But, uh, yeah, I'm. you can only be
1: uh, the schedule places in front of you. So, hmm. it's a shame that uh, the Brooklyn matchup, both with Seth being out and KD and Kyrie, obviously, for Brooklyn, that was supposed to be a measuring stick game for the Sixers, as was uh, Saturday's scheduled game against Denver where – you know, obviously the teams aren't going to be at full strength now. And that's even if the game takes place, like that, I, I still think it's likely a postponement, but we'll see about that. But either way, this Brooklyn Denver, you know, two game stretch this week was supposed to be a really nice look at how the Sixers stacked up against contending type teams. And uh, it's a shame we won't get to see that.
0: Yeah, we're all losers if we don't get to see the Embiid Nicole Jokic matchup. I mean, two. Two guys have been playing out of their mind to start the season. You could make a case. Nicole, I mean, it's obviously really early in the season. The Nuggets do not have a great record as of now, but as in no way the fault of Nikola Jokic. He has been playing really well. The Nuggets have been missing the point of attack defense of Torrey Craig and Jeremy Grant. Jamal Murray's cooled off shooting-wise. Gary Harris has been cooling off shooting wise for the last three years. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. no. Well, so Jokic is like, I don't know if you've seen Jokic play, but Jokic is, oh my gosh. Like I, I was sending around some stuff to some people I know asking like, who would you, because it's like this thought experiment I do, like who would you vote for for MVP if the season ended after just two weeks? And it's, you know, it's so so much variance game to game this early in the season. Like it's probably already changed for some people now, but, Embiid was like the most common answer. Nikola Jokic was the second most common answer I got from people, and
1: that's not a surprise. He's he's been playing amazing. He was, I don't I don't know if after tonight's games it will still be the case, but he was leading the league in assists. He was just ahead of Russell Westbrook in assists per game. Um, so that would be a super fun storyline to follow if that continues. Whether a center can lead the league in assists uh he's a, better,
0: yeah. he's a better defender than russell westbrook too <laughs> he is he is. Yeah, he I, doesn't I, get out of position he has quick hands he knows where to be i mean at yeah, first i well, disagree there's a reason <laughs> the, the wizards i mean we saw like that one I, I remember so i wasn't able to watch it live but when i watched the wizards game the 141 to 136 win in the morning geez, like the Wizards, man, like I know the Sixers did not play good defense, especially on Bradley Beal, who dropped sixty insane performance by him. A lot of that I thought was Brad just hitting a lot of tough shots. The Wizards, man, they do—they really cannot stop anything. Like they what, what are they taking away?
1: Their chance of victory, I think, is the main thing they're
0: taking away. Like I, like I like Thomas Bryant, how energetic he is, what he can do in offense. But man, he's like. He can't really slide his feet on the outside. He's not strong enough to keep people away inside. I, Brad Bradley Beal's too small. Russell Westbrook is running in the wrong places. I, it is just a colossal tire fire they're, the whole time they're out there on that side of the ball.
1: Yeah, yeah somebody t- uh, tweeted this out the other day. And imagine you take on John Wall and you win the trade. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're seeing right now between Houston Jeez. and Washington. It's it's really amazing to consider. Um, yeah, R- Russ. Uh, I, I kind of hope he averages a triple double so we can finally put the bed like how meaningless that it's, MVP it's season was where ar- he averaged a triple double. Because it's such an
0: arbitrary thing. And like now, Russ did play really well his MVP season. Like that was a very he sh- that's one of the few years he shot well from three. He actually did do some really historic things in terms of shot creation i still don't think he should have won mvp that year but he's still good but what like the thing is people weren't giving it the mvp to him because of that it was because simply because he averaged three raw box score counting stats that and double figures which really does not mean that much it's just like a cool little benchmark to, it's like why I, I think it's a pd webb who's like one of the best draft writers on the internet very big on twitter and very big in the draft Twitter community and an incredible writer who um, he, he was like, did this whole piece about like statistical queries and how like, just you can basically, why you need to, all these parameters you need to set, I don't wanna to go too deep on this, but basically like, if you want to find something cool, it's really not that hard to set a bunch of filters and just get something. And that doesn't really mean anything. You're just kind of finding what you want to find, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, people do those sorts of things with arbitrary benchmarks all the time, and it doesn't devalue them, but it, you know, they are what they are. They're, there's what you set them. Um, but everybody likes a triple-double because Ice Cube made it really cool in a song <laughs> once upon a time, so now a guy won MVP because of it. So, yeah, I, I just think uh, regarding the Sixers and how they looked in that game – they just kind of let their, their foot off the gas a little bit, and it would have been really good at the front end of a back-to-back if they had j- just kind of stopped any chance of a Washington comeback so that they could have rested some of their guys in the fourth quarter there. Um, they, I don't, they
0: could have sta- stayed in front of Karis LeVert. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 Urgent Harris. They could have, like, remained uh. – chased him around – 40 screens and, and stopped him from getting off so many of open looks. Um, that would have been nice. So, yeah, they, they definitely could have played better. Um, but they, they still won that game against Washington. So they actually lost the lead there in the fourth. And it, it had all the makings of a, a classic epic Sixers blow, blowing game. And uh, Joel Embiid wouldn't let it happen, which he, I think he either scored or assisted on something like 17 straight points in the fourth quarter. Um, that's the kind of thing MVPs do, and Joel's putting together an MVP-caliber campaign thus far.
0: Yeah, so I know I just railed against uh, the meaninglessness of statistical queries when you don't have, like, a very specific guideline, but... <laughs> here's, a, here's a statistical
1: <laughs> query I did.
0: <laughs> yeah, very much like that. But um, So Joel, he's currently right below this, but here are the... here. So Joel... Man, I butchered the way I was going into that sentence. But here, here's what I was going for. Um, Players to score over 35 points per 100 possessions and finish with a true shooting percentage over at least over 65 for a season are 2015-16 Steph Curry, 1988 Charles Barkley, 1984 Adrian Dantley, 2008 Amari Stoudemire, 2017 Kevin Durant, 2018 Stephen Curry. And right now where Embiid is at, he is averaging over 35 points per 100, and he is 64.9% true shooting, so just off of that mark. And also this, I forgot, also played over 50 games to get rid of guys who play, like, three games, and, you know, don't that doesn't really mean anything. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, he's – it's basically just showing, like, he is scoring at a historically efficient rate. He's still a monster on defense where – even if the numbers aren't as drastic from what I looked at on cleaning the glass, like teams still take less of their shots at the rim when he's in the game, forced to settle for more jumpers. And as we've seen, like at least in the regular season teams that take away the rim generally produce very good regular season defenses, just because the most efficient play in basketball is still an open layup or, and you still get a lot of free throws drawn on like drives to the rim. And if MB just doesn't let those happen, it's, It makes your defense pretty good. Um, So, yeah, it's just – oh, wait, this is another thing I wanted to ask you. So, I don't know if you saw this from me, but there are three teams in the Atlantic division that are in the top five in defensive rating right now. But the two that aren't are the Celtics and the Raptors after they finished second second and third in defense last year. So,
1: what you're telling me is the Knicks are for real. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that it looks like the Raptors are I mean the Raptors are oh I mean it's obviously hard for them you know playing in Tampa Bay already this how hard the season is having to play in a different place like that but and it feels like we might have undersold how big the losses of Gasol and Ibaka were because yeah so, absolutely. I mean, o- only seven games in but man like even w- when they played the Sixers and the Sixers couldn't hit anything the first two quarters of that game the Sixers just eventually work their way back in into the Raptors just they cannot really get an offense going, man.
1: Yeah, they um we were gonna talk about uh surprises around the NBA later on the pod. Um uh, Toronto is definitely one of mine. And yeah, I think especially Abaca with just his ability to kind of be that big man who can switch on defense and it just enables you to defensively on the perimeter you you can switch it if you need to but you can also just bump your guy and he he can hold his own against some of the quicker wings um and he's playing really well in la right now so we're kind of seeing uh the value that he provides in his new role there and yeah they're definitely missing that and you know aaron beans is a a solid player but i don't think he brings the same sort of mobility in in any sense that uh Serge does, and I think that's part of the reason. And G- Gasol is obviously – he's a former defensive player of the year, so everybody knows even as he's getting up there in age, he's still very smart and knows mm-hmm. the right positions to be and how to got- direct directed defense. So both of those guys, that's you know pretty clear delineation of why their defense has dropped off from last year. Um, offensively, uh, I'd expect it to pick up a little bit. I mean, they still have a lot of the same chop makers they had last year. Um, so I, I think that might be a little bit of a small sample size thing.
0: But their offense last year even was like not a good half court offense. They were just they really struggled scoring the half court last year. But they were so good on defense. They got a million transition opportunities and were super efficient at them. So good point. just I, I don't know. Like, do you think that if things continue to get worse, we hear a lot of Kyle Lowry trade chatter?
1: What he? So he signed an extension, right? Or is he in, in the walk here? That would be my question about that.
0: Are you looking that up right now?
1: Yeah, I am. Okay. Yeah. So he. All right. This is a walk here for him. All, all right. right. So yeah, I. If they. I mean, if they fall into a position where they're fighting for a playoff spot, or if if definitely if they're in the lottery, they would. To see what they could get for him, um, but yeah, even if they were like just fighting to get the eight or the seven seed, I, I could definitely see them exploring their options. They were actually they were looking to do that before with uh, Masai Ujiri, and then they just started playing so well that he decided that they wouldn't,
0: and they well, the kind joke, they, The joke has always been that Masai really wanted to just do a rebuild.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, and I think he's. He's rightfully regarded as one of the best general managers in the in the game. So, I think part of that role is recognizing when the right time is to do those sorts of things. Um, and I think rightfully he he backed off and ended up having an incredible title defense season last year. And that series with Boston really could have gone either way. So, I think I think he made all the right decisions in that regard. So. Yeah, they got, they got Kyle back. He's on a, a one-year, $30 million deal right now. So that's a weird contract to, to kind of fit in somewhere with a team that would be contending in the second half of the season. Um, it would be interesting to see what would work. Cause that, like, Toronto wouldn't want to take on bad contracts, obviously. They, they're a team that would, even if they have a down year this year, would still have, you know – Aspirations as a a top-tier team going forward, Uh, but yeah, I I would definitely expect them to explore that market.
0: I don't know what they could do to trade for him. The one that I've I've heard it floated before too, but because the Clippers' like main weakness in the rotation is the guard play, like I mean they start Pat Bev and then they have this like conglomerate of Lou Williams, Luke Kennard, and Reggie Jackson that come off the bench, which has been a little shaky. I don't know what they could get do to get him, but it, like Lowry would be a guy the Clippers I know would probably just kill for just to have him with Kawhi and PG, stabilizing that op- offense, especially when they're off the court sometimes. That that and while also not taking anything away at all on defense, that would be really helpful. I, I mean, there used to be a time when Sixers fans really wanted to Kyle Lowry in a trade just because you know he's from Philly. He can shoot it. He plays defense. Seems like just another like we always talk about. The Sixers needs like a guiding force in the half court, especially late in games when it's hard to get inside. And maybe Lowry could be one of those. Sure, he's he's the guy that you know any team in the league
1: would love to have. Hard nosed defender, like plays a lot bigger than he is, like basically immovable in the post, and uh, he is not afraid to take big shots. And yes some great moments in the last two years for the Raptors in their, in their postseason runs. So yeah, any, yeah, anybody would like to have him uh, whether there's workable deals given, given the contract and what Toronto would want in return in, in that they wouldn't be in full rebuild mode. Uh, mm-hmm. That would be more interesting to take, take a deeper look into it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been a definitely a surprising start there in uh, Tampa for, for the Toronto Raptors.
0: Kyle Lowry's immovable in the post until you move him and then he falls down and gets the foul. Yeah, foul. He's, he's, he's a great crystal. That's one of his many spells. Oh, man. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. So we were talking about, like, just how good the Sixers have been to start this season. Still the best record in the league. Not the best overall net rating, although very good. The Sixers offense is actually just a tad, like, scoring a tad low, lower bit of points per 100 possessions than they did last year. They were at 111.9 points per 100 in last year's offense, currently at a 111.2, although while I haven't checked, I suspect that last year's offense kind of progressively got worse, just guessing by how the season kind of trended. So maybe that's like...
1: Everything progressively got worse last year.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, so that's, that's a great point. Um. Do you so who do, do you okay? Do you know off the top of your head, Sean, who is number one in net rating right now through like the first? So I guess this is like each team's played about eight games. So that's the first ninth of the season. I have it in front of me, so I I do know this one. Uh, is it Phoenix? That is a solid guess, but no, it is the team that is usually in first in the net rating, the Milwaukee Bucks, wow. who. Despite actually their defense dropping off to fifteenth so far, which is, I mean, the, their whole like dominant regular season the past two years have been built on an incredible defense. They're currently the Bucks are scoring one hundred and twenty point nine points per one hundred, which, I mean, again, super early. If they finish with that that would be the most efficient offense in NBA history. They're just basically plus twelve per one hundred. And, you know, even though they have a few losses, it's still, like, you know, this is why, like, I can understand people not wanting to pick the Bucs to go to the finals, but people who are, like, picking them to, like, finish, and I know there weren't many, but, like, finish lower than two or three in the East, like, that's just now, Giannis is, like, guaranteeing you, Giannis in that offensive system Milwaukee runs is guaranteeing you, like, a pretty good regular season every year.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't think anyone had any doubts that, they would perform well in the regular season. I think it's at this point for people, it's all right, show me something different in the playoffs because it's the last couple of years, it's been the same kind of story for them. They have an incredible regular season, you know, with with Giannis and the kind of amount, the amount of depth they've had on the roster where that they're kind of built for the regular season. And then in the playoffs things just break down and whether it's Bud's reluctance to extend his top players minutes. I think that's been the big sticking point for a lot of people Um, or it's something about Giannis uh, lack of shooting and how that kind of breaks down when the the games slow down in the postseason and it's more of a half court environment. Um,
0: I was going to mention Bud insisting on playing Pat Connaughton 20 minutes. (laughs) Like (laughs) <laughs> no well if you
1: need a guy that can also step on the mound and give you a few solid innings in in in, a, in the pinch have uh, on adventure guy
0: but, Not uh, sure, yeah. not sure if you like want to throw him out there against the heat as your team is getting like butchered but <laughs> i mean that was, it was a bold strategy in some ways uh oh i don't i read this article today like so i Came moved out to my dorm back at Northwestern uh, today, so a little tired, but while I was on the flight, I did read uh, this article by Eric Ne I think I, can, I don't know if it's Nem or Neem in the he writes about the Bucks for the athletic and basically describing this play the Bucks have now worked on and found some success with which is just spreading the floor and Bryn Forbes setting a screen for Giannis and him flipping at the last second, slipping out when the defense isn't expected basically because Bryn Forbes' whole NBA career is based on the fact that he's like an above 40% three-point shooter and has a quick trigger, and, you know, it's Giannis, so the defense has to often decide then, well, do we want to keep two guys back and cut off the Giannis drive, or do we want to give Bryn Forbes an open three, which is, you know, that's a hard choice to make. So, it's a good thing to see the Bucs, like, at least if you're a Bucks fan, I guess, to see them working with more of that, like, less of just, like – no ball screens, Giannis, do your thing, but instead trying to incorporate cool little sets like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I know that was a little random, but that, it was a, I just wanted to shout out, because it was a good piece I read today, and showing that how some of their, well, the Bucks' big, like, off-season move was gained through Holiday. Some questioned whether or not their depth was too impact, was impacted in, like, too much of a negative way. It was a cool piece showing how, well, this is some ways their depth probably providing a little more shooting has helped, because They've always shot a lot of threes. They just didn't shoot threes terribly well last year.
1: Yeah, I remember a lot of Thon Maker attempts in, in the five out offense they were running that didn't go quite oh, so well. I
0: mean, Thon Maker hasn't been on their team in so long. He wasn't on their team last year, was he? Maybe it was two years ago. It had to be two years ago. He was not on their team last year. Okay. Well, it, it was burned in my memory as
1: bad Bucks offense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he 20. 2019
0: was the last time he was on Milwaukee, so you're right. Two years so, ago. <laughs> it's, all, it's all good, Sean. <laughs> you know, you had that. I told Tobias he can't dunk with one hand, and now he's trying to, like, end my career. So <laughs> it happens to all of us. <laughs> now, next thing you know, Thon Maker's going to be, like, hitting threes left and right and saying, hey, Sean, you remember when I played in Milwaukee last year? Nah." uh
1: I feel pretty confident this this won't take place. Yeah, um, th-
0: yeah. The, for some reason, I, I tend to agree with you, but um. Tobias
1: well, did have a great tweet, uh, yet uh, yesterday about someone not hitting on daily in daily fantasy because he didn't get the 20 points at the end of the game, and uh, he said he, he they basically should have invested that money in Bitcoin instead. Um, so that was a good roast. So I, I feel like Tobias would def- definitely has a little bit of a, a vindictive streak in him. Where he he could be coming for you, Daniel?
0: No, uh, Tobias. Like I mean, he's. I think he's winning back the fans at least a little bit. He's he's been. Yeah, playing I mean, well.
1: he's playing great. He's he's playing great. There's there's been like all star buzz for him. So, and, and deservedly, given the stats he's been putting up and the and the type of play he's been showing on the court. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if if Tobias Harris is an all star, then you're okay. Paying him what you're paying him, it it still may be a little bit of an overpay, but at that point you're just reaching. Well, that's what you have to do to retain all stars. You have to overpay.
0: It's like buying something where you know it's too much, but you're still like, it's just worth it anyways. Versus like, oh my gosh, I'm in debt.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it's like it's like when you have the money to overspend on something. This is like it's like emotional capital that he creates by playing well.
0: Well, so since I brought up that the Bucks have been that good again, like, what? Who do you think is last in the NBA net rating currently? Ooh, that's a good one. I would say probably Detroit. Right? Detroit is second to last. Okay. But here's the thing: Detroit, while being second to last net rating, is eight points better per one hundred than the team that isn't last. Uh,
1: man. Uh, Minnesota, they've been getting
0: bored <laughs> a lot. Minnesota, yeah. But Minnesota does have one more win than Detroit. <laughs> Minnesota is getting outscored by 17 points per 100 possessions. They are giving up 122 points per 100. That is astronomically bad. Like I haven't gotten to see too much too much of the Timberwolves. Been busy lately, but well,
1: they haven't had towns so I guess yeah but if, like if you if you're, you're an optimistic Minnesota supporter you would just kind of point to that and say like none of this really matters right now
0: that makes sense for like why their offense hasn't been very good I'll give them that. Cat is an unbelievable offensive player who I mean he's one of the better bigs in NBA history just what how, how versatile he is he's also a really good passing hub to center your offense through but defensively like you got to why can't they stop? I, I know they don't have a ton of good defenders, but you kind of stop teams from scoring more than that. Like Getting outscored by 17 points per 100 is just getting killed every single time you're on the court.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, I, don't, I don't know what to say. It's not, it's not good. I mean, I guess it starts with Russell is not a good defender. At all. At all. So that's your point of attack guy. And if you don't have a rim protector and you know, Towns is not in there, he's not a he's not a good defender by any means, but I, I'd say he's still better than like Nas Reed, who they've been playing back up center minutes and is one of the worst centers on the glass in the NBA. I think he has the third lowest rebounding rate. So he's not a guy that's really getting physical down there. It's I... uh you know, those minutes are getting replaced by a lesser defender, even if Towns isn't very good. So I, I don't, know. I just don't know how much of a defensive backbone is is there in place for Minnesota. So.
0: And actually, I, I still like Nasri. I liked him coming out of LSU. He has some nice skills. But it's like the thing. It's like if you come, you, it's like a chain reaction where you have all these bad individual defenders on Minnesota whose weaknesses like hurt the other guys more. And it just keeps feeding upon itself. And, like, I just remembering watching Anthony Edwards in college. It was – I mean, it's such a, like, cliche stereotype. You don't want to go it. But, man, like, when he walks in, fine. But he has so many, like ha- – at least at Georgia had so many lapses, just ball watching, like, his man cutting directly to open space. So, I vividly remember there was a – during the Georgia-Kentucky game, and, like – completely just roams off of Emmanuel quickly as he's like swinging to the other side and has like jumps backwards the wrong way. Like he's complete. He's basically what ends up happening is no one is near Emmanuel quickly. And Ant, who is guarding him at the start of the play is 10 feet away from him as he gets an open three, which he makes like, I can only imagine like as a center trying to cover up for D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards backcourt.
1: Yeah. So it's, You basically answered your own question there, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure how much defensive success they'd be expected to have with that being their point of attack defense for the majority, if not all, of the game with that being the point guard rotation.
0: Even the 2016 Sixers, who famously or infamously only won 10 games, still only gave up 110 points per 100. And I know offense has gradually picked up each year, so maybe you could skew that up to, like, 115, but still, like, you know, if those Sixers teams with Ish Smith as the point-of-attack defender could find a way to, you know, not get eviscerated on a nightly basis...
1: They I mean, did have future first-team all-defense Robert Covington on the roster, though.
0: So. That is true. That That is true. But, like, oh, man. I don't... And Minnesota's in the position where... They need – if they're going to lose, they really need to – because they need to get a top three pick then because if their pick falls outside of the top three, it goes to the Warriors from the D'Angelo, Russell, Andrew, Wiggins trade, which honestly – I mean, there's a small – there is a possibility that trade could end up being a lose-lose unless the Warriors get the pick and get someone they really like because uh I would say neither guy has done really what the other team has probably wanted.
1: No, but I, I would say Wiggins has done what people expected um, <laughs> I, I don't I don't think anyone's shocked that he's continued to play poorly. I mean
0: that's... well, the thing is that everyone wants the teams that well, now the Warriors, like everyone has a moment as a fan where you talk yourself into Wiggins, or at least the theory of, oh, what if he does this, this, and this?" but it's like no, that's just it's just not going to happen. Um I think it was Jake Kyle man of the ringers uh he tweeted the other day that. His nomination for the theme song to Andrew Wiggins drives, and it was the song title was uh, "Where Are You Going," <laughs> <laughs> which, <laughs> fitting.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I could remember when I w- was was rooting to uh, think that Andrew Wiggins could be a good player, and that was when we tanked an entire season in hopes of getting him with the first overall pick. So, yeah, we
0: just settled for this Joel guy at number three instead. Yep. Sometimes things work
1: out for the best, even when you don't think they did in the first place.
0: So. Yeah. Andrew Wiggins, Jabari Parker, Joel Embiid, Dante Exum. That is, that I mean, is that that might, people, people said Sam
1: Hakey didn't draft well. What are you talking about?
0: Like <laughs> that is like I don't know. Say you put four checks in a bag. One of them is like a million dollars. We'll say another one is like two hundred bucks. We'll call that Wiggins, and the other one is like I don't know. The other two are Venus fly traps. It, so I guess they're not checks anymore. But they pulled out the a million dollar check, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah,
1: it was. It was like they did very well in a game like heal or No Deal. Yeah, it's it's they pulled the right suitcase.
0: The I mean, as much as the Embiid injury sucked for the first years, and obviously don't. I mean, I can't imagine the pain Joel had to go through for two years with all that and what we know was going on in his life during that time. That foot injury pre-draft that made people, like, because he still might have gone to three at the Sixers, but it definitely helped that they were like, oh, we're not sure about Embiid's health so that he slides past Wiggins and Javari to the Sixers at three. I mean, it's just, it it turned the franchise around eventually. I mean, obviously not right away, given what had they still had to go through, but as we see now, like, we're talking about the Sixers as best record in the NBA, and at least, like, we know this is a playoff team. We know this is a good team, which, I mean, even during the years when they were making the playoffs of seven and eight seeds, it was like – like, I, my roommate here in college, one of my best friends, John, like, he is a big Magic fan, and as much as he still enjoys the team, like, he says you can only get the seven seed and the eight seed so many times before it gets boring.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, it's, we don't need to, to yeah. rehash the process, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think Sixers fans are very happy that we got off the treadmill of mediocrity, as it was dubbed. Um, yes. And we only had to disgrace the game of basketball to do it, by, as, as the process detractors like to uh, express. So, yeah, we're in a good place now, aside from the uh, COVID outbreak that's running through the roster.
0: So. so I've mentioned a bunch of things like, of course, uh, showing like uh, surprisingly, I was, I've just been, I was meant to, I don't know why I babbled through that, but surprised at how good the Bucks' offense has been, surprised at just how bad the Timberwolves defense is. Uh, is there anything that's really stuck out to you, Sean, just across the league in general? Because one th- more thing I want to talk about, but do you have anything else that you really were thinking about the league as a whole? So, I have a theory. and I'm going to call it the, the Nate Yorkeran
1: corollary, <laughs> which is that he was the mastermind behind Toronto's success all along. And uh, Nick Nurse just got the credit. Um, I had this as, written down. As we can see, Toronto, and we, we've already discussed, uh, Toronto has completely fallen off. They're, they're currently 1-6. They have looked awful on both ends of the court, as we discussed. So, I won't belabor that. Pacers, meanwhile, hire Nate Bjorkman. Suddenly they're one of the, the hot teams in the NBA. Six and two right now. They, he came in and he said, we're going to play with more pace. Indiana playing a much faster pace. Didn't really shake up the roster at all, but suddenly everybody looks better. Old Depot looks like, uh, you know, not quite, I'm going to make an all NBA team, Victor Depot, but looks pretty darn good again. Um, Malcolm Brogdon playing like one of the best point guards in the league. Miles Turner rejuvenated. Sabonis still playing to his uh, all-star level of a season to go. Everything looks great in Indiana. So that's uh, – I'm going to say that Nate Purkin was the uh, the real secret sauce in that surrounding success.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, it's it's gotten further play as some people have questioned what Nick Nurse has been tra- – Nick Nurse had some uh, – we'll call them questionable quotes following some of these posting – uh, so following some of these losses early on, seems maybe I don't know how to put it best. Like uh, I don't know if I would call out my players like he's doing. Of course, Nick Nurse is an NBA head coach. I'm a sophomore in college, so I, you know, who knows? But
1: <laughs> maybe he, he, he has he has clothing with his initials on it. So <laughs> until you have that, you can't be criticizing people. That-
0: yeah, but you, like you mentioned, the Pacers. I mean they are, and they're not even shooting a ton of threes still. They're basically just taking every shot they can at the rim and getting there at will. DeMontis Sabonis is either like shouldering through a defender for a whip or just dunking on them. Miles Turner is blocking everything. They've turned Doug McDermott, like that two-man game with him and Sabonis, Doug's like not even shooting that well, but he's like turned into a rim runner where he's just, he too is like just charging the rim for these two-handed dunks. He is 6'8", and he's not like a horrible leaper. And he he gets so much momentum running off the dribble handoff because teams are freaked out about him shooting and Sabonis rolling. And it's just – the Pacers are just, like, coming downhill at you the entire game. and It just gets tiring.
1: Yeah, that's interesting you said that about um, McDermott because I I watched a lot of him in college. He's – you know, he he spent multiple years in college. He wasn't a one-and-done guy. And Villanova and Creighton play each other.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: usually three times a year given the, the conference tournament and the regular season meetings. So I watched a fair amount of Doug McDermott. And yeah, he would, he wasn't just like a, a spot up shooter guy. He was always like attacking the basket, dunking a lot in college. And then everyone just kind of like, Oh, he's the white shooter guy. That's all he's going to do is just do that. So I, I definitely felt like there was a little more of this game to unlock and we, we are seeing that this year. So
0: how many, how many what percentage of his shots do you think are coming at the rim? I have in front of me right now this season. Uh I don't know like twenty-eight percent. Forty-three percent of his shots are at the rim. That's a lot. Ninety first percentile. Good for him. <laughs> He's not even shooting like his in terms of like percentile for his accuracy at the rim, it's not super high, but just that my my dude is getting to the rim a lot. <laughs> And, you know, we haven't even mentioned TJ McConnell for the Pacers still. Like, he helped turn the Pelicans game that they won in overtime where I think he had, like, two backcourt steals late in the game where the Pelicans were being really lazy with the ball. He just does it, like, all the time. TJ still – like, people can – some people will doubt TJ, say you can't play in the playoffs, that eventually he'll fall out of your rotation. (laughs) I feel like everywhere TJ – every time we watch TJ play, it's like, man, he looks like he makes your team better.
1: I had no doubt that you would bring up TJ, so I, I didn't feel I needed to, to mention well, it. I, about... I left that for you. And uh, oh. the various holidays on the roster who, who were playing well, We should should mention
0: Well, I had to talk about TJ, because actually Aaron Holiday from Redford has not been playing too well, and I really like Aaron Holiday. So, you know, <laughs> trying to focus on the TJ McConnell good vibes than the Aaron Holiday. Uh,
1: uh, you're, trying to, you're trying to make a TJ as the primary backup push. No, but I, I like
0: both of them. I like I, I like T.J. McConnell and Aaron Holiday playing together. I really like both of those players. I I enjoy watching the Pacers. I just uh, I I just don't I don't want to like I didn't want to take time disparaging a guy that I really like in Holiday.
1: All right, fair enough. But yeah, that was that was my 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 big surprise. Um, the other other otherwise, I mean, I, I don't think the Knicks are going to sustain this. Necessarily. Um, so that's, I think that's the other yeah, surprise the, in the, the East.
0: The Knicks are getting like historically fortunate on opponent three point shooting percentage, where no team, every team they're playing is just bricking threes left and right, which, yeah. you know, there is such a thing as three point defense, but it really doesn't like just, <laughs> there's only so much your contest can do compared to like at the rim where you have a guy standing there who's like seven feet with his arms up in front of you. As you try and go into him. So that probably will fall back down. They're definitely better than they were last year. Uh, they've turned Julius Randle from like a guy who my, one of some of my Knicks friends would like text me, like, to, I always get these messages about Julius Randle and how much they couldn't stand him last year. And so far this year, like they're making his all star campaign. So yeah, they, he's
1: averaging what, 25, 12, and seven?
0: If Julius Randle averages a triple-double, do we name him MVP?
1: Uh, but, yeah, some, I, I don't think he's going to be able to sustain 39 minutes a night or whatever he's playing right now. I think that he, the, the Tibbs pedal to the metal grind my top players into dust.
0: You are going to play 40 minutes and you <laughs> will like it.
1: Yeah. like Let's ask Lou Waldang about that sometime. Uh So I don't I don't think that's really sustainable, and I I do think they're with Tibbs. Tibbs is you know he's a good coach, and Mm -hmm. he they signed enough like veterans like Burks and some other guys. Like Mm -hmm. Burks is out for a few games right now, but he was playing very well for them before Mm -hmm. his injury. You know they signed enough of those type of guys that I I feel like they're not you know basement fodder in the standings. They're going to be. Competitive most nights, but yeah, I wouldn't expect them to really, like maintain a playoff mm-hmm. hunt position.
0: No, yeah, the Knicks like like I said earlier, they're top five in defense. Given the three point percentage has been really helpful, and it seems like the players they've kept have gotten better, and some of the players they've brought in have been doing just fine. Um, last thing I want to talk about is uh, it's been like a bubbling discussion in NBA circles so far is how many more blowouts there have been. According to Cleaning the Glass, like, I think it was Ben Falk who put out that there's basically been one more minute of garbage time per game so far in the NBA season, which is huge. Like, as an, just as, like, as a statistic, like, how much of a jump that is. And there's a couple of theories. Like, obviously, like, I mean, no fans in the stadium, especially when you're a road team or you're a home team. just It makes it a little weird or different. Not exactly sure how to specifically attribute which of that to which. But I think there was um, – I think it was – was it called the, the – it was like letting go of the rope theory or like I, I can't – that wasn't the name, but it's basically like some of these teams knowing that how condensed the schedule is when they're getting behind. Unlike usually like in past seasons where a team gets behind by 20, they usually close the gap at least because they start playing a little bit harder. The other team gets a little lackadaisical. They want to try and get the win. Some teams are like going down by twenty and saying, "You know what? We're probably not winning this game. We might as well just rest up and get ready for our next game, which is happening very soon." With this condensed schedule, and I also thought I thought that was interesting too because we just saw the Sixers. Like, I don't think the Sixers tried to get. They did not let go of the rope versus the Nets until very late. I mean, it was like two minutes left when the game was over. But
1: yeah, they didn't. They didn't at all. I, I, a lot of people were actually calling for. Them to, to well, do the that.
0: Bench, the bench lineup was the one that actually played like the what was it? Maxi Matthias, Tyrese Maxi, Dakota Mathias, Isaiah, Isaiah Joe. No, was yeah. Matisse Thibel and Dwight Howard. How many technicals is Dwight up to now? It's some crazy number. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> he's gunning. He's gunning for the Rashid Wallace forty technicals and seventy seven games title.
1: Him fouling out in sixteen minutes or whatever it was was that was peak Dwight Howard
0: Sixers. There was. I I remember there was a guy who I wasn't on the team, but I heard about a guy at my middle school when when I was in middle school that like, some guy who um basically the what I heard is that he fouled out in four minutes of play. Which
1: was um, it? A, was it a situation where they sent him in purely? No, to I foul? think it,
0: this was like a first half situation. Okay. I I have a lot of questions, but, but it's <laughs> that's one for the archives. But um. <laughs> Yeah, do, do a little more digging on that and go back to us. Yeah, but no, they, no, yeah, I like, although I, enjoy, I enjoyed the Sixers bench lineup, but um, getting back to what I was saying, like, do you think there could be, maybe not the Sixers, but could be something to other teams saying, you know, just, even if it's like only second quarter and you feel like you're not out of it, just, it's not worth it. We, especially if you know you're a good team thinking we, I mean, we just can't get this win. win, like. I think it was the Utah Jazz who someone mentioned that they're playing like their start to the season is 37 games in 71 days, which is insane. So, like, could you blame, say, Quinn Snyder if the Jazz fall behind to the Nuggets in a game like 45 to 20 early on, and they're just like, you know what, this is probably a loss. We just got to get ready so we can try and get the next one back.
1: Yeah. um, So, first, it's – what like eight games in for most teams, so I don't want to draw too many conclusions.
0: Um, no, John. Content is about conclusions. Come on. <laughs> but
1: that being said, my my personal theory is just how much it has to do with the lack of a real offseason and yeah. training training camp being condensed. The the young guys not getting to have a summer league experience and everything that